Welcome everyone to Couch Potato Diary. Happy Thursday. My name is Peter Klein. Thank you very much for tuning in today. A busy show. We are going to look at the Midway Point NHL Awards, going to look at what's next following the Pascal Siakam trade from the Toronto Raptors to the Indiana Pacers from yesterday, going to look at maybe a bit of a missed opportunity for the Toronto Blue Jays, and then our UFC 297 preview continues, uh, taking a maybe a bit of a step away from what's going on at UFC 297 and looking at some of the other big fights that have been announced recently across the MMA landscape, and we close today's show with today's ticket. So a lot to get to. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Remember, if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to like this video and subscribe to the channel. Leave a comment if there's something I say that you really like, or I guess don't. Um, and if you are watching, or sorry, if you're listening in podcast form, uh, please remember to leave a review and subscribe to the channel. You can find me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I am at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK, and you can email this show, Couch Potato Diary at yahoo.com. Um, okay, so that is all the shilling I have to do. Let's get into it. Let's talk some awards from the National Hockey League. Okay, we are at the midway point, basically, in the National Hockey League season. Some teams have roared past, like the Calgary Flames. Some teams are not quite there yet. But uh, we are going to look at the NHL awards for the up or for the, 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 the current season here in the NHL. Let's start with Coach of the Year. And I think it has to be Jim Montgomery with the Boston Bruins. A season of tumult in Boston, where you have Patrice Bergeron leave, David Krejci leave. You have a lot of unprovens coming into the lineup. And a lot of people expected the Boston Bruins to just completely fall off the face of the earth. And the exact opposite has happened. They are one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference and the National Hockey League again. And so I, I do, like, credit has to go, obviously, to the, the Marchands and the Pasternaks and the young kids who have stepped up as well, as well as the, the tandem that they have between the pipes. But I do think you do have to give a lot of credit to Jim Montgomery for just rolling with what they have, putting in a system in place to, to help them build and just kind of go from there. So Jim Montgomery is my Jack Adams Award winner. Currently, uh, my Norris Trophy goes to Quinn Hughes. I don't know how you can give it to anyone else at this point. He is leading the charge on a Vancouver Canucks team that kind of just fluctuates between first and second in the NHL right now, given uh, depending on what the Winnipeg Jets are doing. But he has found another level to his game. And the dynamic approach he has to the offensive side of things makes him a real weapon with this Canucks team and a massive part as the captain now, a massive part of what has grown out in Vancouver. And, like, obviously, we are in such an amazing time for defensemen in the NHL, with uh, Kale McCarr stepping up every single year as well, um, and guys like Heiskanen and all of them as well. But I feel like this season, Quinn Hughes's play has just stood out above the rest to me. So Quinn Hughes gets the Norris Trophy vote. Uh, the Calder right now is Connor Bedard. That gets a little bit interesting as time goes on. How much time is too much time for this rookie to miss when there are other rookies who are, are stepping up, including uh, out here in Calgary with Connor Zeri? But, like, it, as of right now, if the awards were to happen today, it's him. Like, there, there is no question. He has been everything that is advertised. Uh, I'm going to be right on my, I, I think I'm going to be right, on my Bedard under 30 goals this year, but I think only because of injuries. He doesn't have anyone around him and he has been elite. It's been a remarkable performance from Connor Bedard to start this season, and one that absolutely would deserve this award for um, for Rookie of the Year. My Vesna, just 
for a few reasons. Obviously, I think he's playing well, um, but maybe not his best season, but... I do think that the Winnipeg Jets deserve some kind of recognition on here. And so I'm putting Connor Hellebuck as the, the goalie of the year. You can make a very compelling case for Aiden Hill. Um, but I feel like, again, Connor Hellebuck is the one of the top goalies in the world. And his team is playing out of their minds. So I feel like Connor Hellebuck deserves the nod right now for goaltender of the year, uh, which is obviously the Vezina Trophy. It just, there are nights where it's like, oh, this guy simply is the best goalie on the planet right now. That has been quite the thing for, for, for him to, to do. And a, a huge part of what the Winnipeg Jets have been able to do this season. And now my heart trophy vote. And this one might be a little out there, I think. But I have to right now give it on the best player who is on what is looking like the best team. And that's Elias Patterson on the Vancouver Canucks. There are guys who have more points. Absolutely there are. Um, and honestly, this will probably end up being McDavid, right? Like this will probably, he, he will likely go on, well, is already in the midst of just a, a ridiculous run and end up leading the NHL in points, even though at the quarter point, he was at 150th and he will go on his way to win the, the Hart Trophy. But for right now, Elias Pettersson has been the straw that has stirred the drink with the Vancouver Canucks. He is a big reason why so many players on this team are having career years. And I think he is the biggest reason why, with all due respect to a lot of the other guys that are there, I think he is the biggest reason why this team has been able to exceed all of the expectations so far. If you take him off of this team, I think they're just kind of a middle of the pack team, but he has solidified himself as a top 10 player in the National Hockey League and uh, solidified himself as someone who has really stepped into this role as like one of the, the true great players in this league right now. Again, there are guys with more points, but I just think with how good Vancouver is playing and how important he is to that team, I think he deserves the odd of the MVP, which is the Hart Trophy. But overall, like, it's been a fun start to the season in the NHL. There's obviously been some weird stories and some downer stories. A hundred percent there has been. But you look at what's happening in Vancouver and Winnipeg right now. You look at the types of playoff races that are developing specifically uh, out west, but east as well. You have some marquee teams that are going to miss the playoffs this season. Um, I think you have less bad teams this year as the Connor Bedard sweepstakes are over. And while we all appreciated what Macklin Celebrini did for Team Canada at the World Juniors, he ain't that dude. So I think that there is a real growth happening here with, um, with this NHL. We are in an amazing time for the league. Again, we have frustration about how several parts of the Blackhawks situation what was handled. The, the the Pride Tape situation has been just an abysmal failure by the National Hockey League across the board. And obviously you can tell where I stand on that matter. Um, there has been, I don't think officiating has been particularly good. But when you just look at the talent out on the ice right now in the NHL, there is no question about it that things are going really, really well. For this league and the sport of hockey is in a tremendous place. Not just NHL, right? Like the PWHL is balling out right now. Uh, the, the World U18, like it sucks that Canada drops into the bronze medal game, but that means other nations are coming and that is huge for women's hockey. So it, it is such a great time to be a hockey fan if you just ignore the people in charge of it. Let's move into uh, some basketball as the, the Raptors and Pacers pulled off a big blockbuster, which now has everyone wondering, what's next? So, Pascal Siakam is now a member of the Indiana Pacers. Bruce Brown's a Raptor, as uh, will be three future first-round picks. 
uh, in this blockbuster deal. And so now the question automatically turns to what next? Well, apparently uh, Pascal Siakam was the only thing holding the Raptors back from being an absolute juggernaut after scoring almost 80 points in the first half against the Miami Heat and the, uh, and then uh, over 120 in the game. So clearly uh, Pascal Siakam is this generation's Rudy Gay and the Raptors are going to go on an immaculate run uh, of uh, unparalleled success over the next decade. Or not. Uh, that, that's probably not going to be what happens. I think for Toronto, this has to be like the, the official, obviously, like they, they've sold the two biggest parts, right? That those are the, the two marquee ones. But I think you're, you're not, you're not putting sold yet on the, the for sale sign. You are keeping that for sale sign out in the front yard of this apartment complex. We have, we have sold the penthouses, but we still got some pretty good stuff here throughout the rest of this building that I, I think Toronto should be selling off. I, I think at this point for Toronto, Scotty Barnes is obviously an untouchable, um, Emmanuel quickly as well. And it would just suck with all the fun that, that we're having with RJ Barrett being the Canadian on the Raptors if you then flipped him right away. Obviously, if someone comes with a godfather offer, I think for those last two, you, you have to to look at it. But I, I think given the lack of uh, a superstar in this draft, it would be really tough for me to imagine the Raptors getting something that would entice you off of quickly or Barrett. So to me, those guys are the untouchables. But the next level, I, I think you can get something a little bit interesting for them. Uh, Dennis Schroeder at point guard had an amazing World Cup of basketball, has been fine for the Raptors this season, certainly has not been a problem for Toronto this year. And for teams who need a little bit depth at, at point guard, he is a phenomenal option to come off of the bench for a high caliber team. Um, and just a, a really good ball handler, very skilled on the offensive side of things. So I, I think he could be someone who could get you another pretty decent return. Um, I think Gary Trent Jr. is probably as good as gone from a, a Raptor standpoint. He has been great um, at moments. He was great last night. He has had his ups and downs with this team. There is no question. But again, from an offensive, purely just scoring the ball standpoint, Gary Trent Jr. is someone who I, I think can really help again a, a scoring needy team in the postseason. Like, I, I wonder that the two guys who I just mentioned, I think would be, and I haven't done salary matches or anything like that, but I think those guys would be really good fits on the LA Lakers, um, a, a team that I think needs to improve their, their offense a little bit. And so I, I think those would be two guys who could help that group score the basketball. Just, uh, just spitballing here, right? But th those are, I think, two options that could really get you a decent return. You're not going to get three first-round picks for those two guys, but you could get something. And the last one, and it's tricky because they just signed him to a contract, but Everyone needs a big now, right? Like, if nothing else, Jacob, uh, Jacob Pertle could be someone who could foul Jokic five times or foul, foul Embiid five times in a playoff series or in, in a playoff game. And the, the, the contract, I do think, makes it a little bit cumbersome to, to attempt to move. But I, I think in a league that is starting to recognize the importance of a big man again, I think that Pertle could be someone who gets you, again, a pretty decent return. I think the Raptors are probably good on first-round picks in 2024. They have two, potentially three, depending on how bad the rest of this season goes. And you have the Detroit Pistons pick, which is a right now slated to be the 31st overall pick in the draft. So the, the Raptors, I think, are probably good on this mediocre draft this year. Now, I do think there's a couple of ways to look at it. The, the 24 draft class is not getting anywhere close to the hype of the 23 draft class. And so, on the one hand, it's like, well, I don't really want guys in this draft, so let's try to get other ones. On the other hand, if you think you have a couple of diamonds in the rough here, and it's like, you know what, maybe like teams are undervaluing these picks. This is a, a rare opportunity to get some of these first round picks that, that we can bring in here. 
it, there might be a market inefficiency. But again, as we talked about yesterday on the Instant Reaction Show, this has not been an organization that has found many of those diamonds in the rough. I think some people thought they might have with Coloco. Uh, he was placed on waivers yesterday. Now he's had a respiratory issue all season long, but that one hasn't clicked in the same way. And so I, I don't know if I'm trusting this group right now on just absolutely nailing some of these first round picks. But if you could get some future firsts in these deals, and again, a couple of young guys who can maybe have some experiments on, I think that's probably where the Raptors are looking right now. But the fire sale is certainly on out in Toronto. Um, and I think the next part for the Raptors here, I think you have to give Grady Dick an extended run. Um, he was good last night. Um, he, he has that nice dish to RJ Barrett for the dunk. Um, he was he was fine. And, and so now I think just give the kids some opportunities. I don't think this is a Raptors team that will ever like just full on, well, those are five guys you've never heard of before. Let's go. I think this is going to be a Raptor team that we have a bunch of dudes out there who are 23, 24, 25 years old, and we're going to see what happens. That feels like where the Raptors are going to going and uh, going to be going. And I think Grady Dick has to be um, a relatively important part of that and see what you actually have in this dude going forward. Cause he seems like, the style of player that would fit at the NBA level with um, his affinity for shooting and his confidence in college. and But that confidence has not translated over into the NBA game at all. If you can get him on a bit of a run, maybe you unearth something. And I I'm not saying, well, if Grady Dick turns into a great three-point shooter, then all of a sudden the Raptors are a championship contender. But it's just one less thing to have to worry about come draft time and, and come building this team to whatever it's going to be in the future. So I do think you have to give him uh, a bit of an extended look now. On the Pacers side, what does this make the Indiana Pacers? Well, one thing, it makes them really good, right? Like, with all due respect to Bruce Brown, um, he was not going to be a part, I think, of a, a championship pedigree with the, the, the Pacers. He is a fine player, and I don't... I would imagine he's renting, not buying in Toronto. I'll just... I'll, I'll say it that way. I, I think that he is someone who probably ends up on his way out at some point here. But for for the Pacers, they add an all-star caliber player while only really eliminating Brown from your, your like, rotation, like, your, your solid playoff rotation. So, so that is a significant upgrade. It doesn't make them better than Boston. It doesn't make them better than Milwaukee. And it doesn't make them better than Philadelphia. It puts them in the conversation with the next group, though, right? Like, I, I think... Uh, nerf gun to my head, as Zach Lowe likes to say, I'm still picking Cleveland over Indiana, uh, Indiana, sorry, in uh, football mode. But after that, like, I think they're better than the Knicks. I certainly think they're better than the, the Miami Heat right now. So they have worked their way into that 4-5 conversation, have a chance to win a round, and then hope you Cinderella your way into the Eastern Conference Finals, which is a great place to grow, th grow from when you have a Halliburton and a Turner and now a Pascal Siakam. They have a strong foundation to be a player in the Eastern Conference and at least win around and be a team that the other group doesn't really want to face in the second round of the postseason. So um, kudos to Indiana that they, I think they have done a really good job and it put, puts pressure on that other group now, right? Like, the, the Knicks were rumored to be in on Siakam for a very long time. That's clearly not going to happen now. Um, the Miami Heat have been in on everybody for a while, and they've uncharacteristically struck out a little bit. And now, what does Cleveland do, right? Like, Donovan Mitchell apparently um, isn't long for the Cavaliers. What direction do they go? But I think it puts pressure now on some of these East teams to maybe get in on a Zach Levine sweepstakes or DeJounte Murray um, out of Atlanta. I, I think it puts pressure on some of these teams that have 
aspirations of at least being where the Pacers are of, yeah, we could win a round, maybe two, in the, the Eastern playoffs. I, I think that math has changed, especially, I think, for the Knicks and for the Miami Heat. Um, because it just kind of knocks them down, and it kind of knocks Miami into play-in territory now, I think. And it puts the Knicks in a spot where you are playing one of the, the big three in the first round of the playoffs. And a first-round playoff exit, I don't think, was in the cards for a lot of people for the Knicks this season. So I, I think the pressure is on for those teams now to improve themselves here. And I, I think it adds an interesting wrinkle here to get this done less than a month before the trade deadline, but not a day before the trade deadline. It lets these teams kind of assess the market and now see like, where do we stand and how how important is it for us to improve now? So I think it really shakes the the, the trade market up here in the NBA. So a, a fun a, a fun stretch coming up here, I think, for the National Basketball Association. A couple quick baseball thoughts here. Some big news from baseball yesterday that doesn't directly affect the Toronto Blue Jays, but I think indirectly affects them greatly. Um, there has been an issue with Bali Sports. We're not going to get too into it, but basically they have a bunch of TV networks that carry baseball um, regionally. Like they have the regional rights for a number of baseball teams uh, across MLB and they're bankrupt. And so many of these teams now get so much of their money from their regional sports networks that it kind of hindered what some of these teams could do. Like you saw a lot of one-year contracts from the St. Louis Cardinals and you've seen a lot of teams just be like, I'm good, man. I'm out. No, not worrying about it. Not, we're going to, we're going to see what happens with this before we can really start to commit some dollars. The Blue Jays aren't in that spot. The same company that owns the Blue Jays owns the TV network that they're on. So regional sports network, kind of covered. Um, quite frankly, the Jays don't have a regional sports network. They have a national sports network with Sportsnet. So, this felt like potentially an opportunity for Toronto to, again, flex a bit of financial muscle, not in the way that the Dodgers or even the Yankees could, but flex a bit of financial muscle here in the, the middle part of this market and try to grow the team that way. And now that edge feels like it is gone with Amazon coming in and basically buying up all of those. So now there's going to be an influx of Amazon money into Major League Baseball, and that's going to help out some of these teams who are relying on the, those market deals. And so now the competition, I think, has increased greatly for the Blue Jays and for some of the players that they were looking to add here. And so if I know this, the free agents know it, and so that's probably why they weren't just going to accept a lowball offer from Toronto to, to, to go to the Blue Jays. They they were going to wait for the, the, the regional sports money to come in as well. But it does feel like this was a window that the Jays had that now has kind of gone away. I do think it means the free agent market picks up substantially over the next couple of weeks here as a little bit more certainty gets brought into to this. At least that's my my thought on, on how this is all going to play out. All right. Um, we took a bit of a break from it yesterday. Let's get back into our look in the MMA world as we get ready for 297. <laughs> We continue to get ready for UFC 297 out in Toronto, coming up this Saturday night. In the main event, it is Sean Strickland against Dricus Duplessis for the UFC's middleweight championship, one of two title fights on this card. Um, we have been getting ready for this all week. I am 
relatively excited for a lot of the fights coming up on Saturday night. We're going to have a full preview of the card um, coming up on Friday show. But for right now, let's look at some of the other things that are happening around the world of MMA. And we begin with Tatiana, uh, Tatiana Suarez, sorry, who is out of UFC 298. This was one of the big fights that we were talking about a couple of UFCs ago, as Suarez is someone who has had a four-year layoff, but at her best, is an absolute juggernaut and had the potential to be the next face of women's mixed martial arts, in my opinion. And so now a four-year layoff, now she has to wait a couple of months. On the one hand, it doesn't sound like it's a long-term injury. So it sounds like we could be getting her back sooner rather than later. So you've waited four years, what's another few months? On the other hand, it's someone who has been out for four years. And so when you have someone who has that lengthy injury history, um, it doesn't go great. Uh, or it doesn't look great when they then have an injury that delays their fight. So hopefully, like, perfect world, she's right and ready to go a couple of months from now at UFC 300, and you put another, you put a spotlight on, on another really good contender for the UFC. But this one, it's just a bummer, man. What was really excited to, to see that particular fight. Um, there has been a lot going on in the Bellator uh, PFL area. And so I think there's a lot to cover there. We will get to that in a second here. But speaking of UFC 300, Jim Miller is going to be on UFC 300. Coming off of his win at UFC Vegas 84 last weekend, um, Jim Miller is going to be on the card. And the reason this is so exciting is, A, that this is someone who has, like, again, the most fights in the history of the UFC, most wins in the history of the UFC, and on down the line, most cage time in the history of the sport as well. But he's also been on UFC 100 and UFC 200 in um, what has been an, a, a remarkable career for him. Now he's got a fight booked, UFC 300. He's going to take on Bobby Green. This is not a fight that is going to dictate a whole lot in the rankings, but it's going to be fun as hell to watch these two veterans of the fight game go head-to-head -head in that octagon at UFC 300. I cannot wait for this fight, and I just love that it is happening. Also at UFC 300, it is going to be the BMF title on the line with Justin Gaethje against Max Holloway. This is going to be... Uh, I think the potential to be an all-timer, especially given the platform, again, UFC 300, um, to, to have this level of violence, I think, is going to be a blast for people. For Gaethje, he called for a title fight. Um, there is a title eliminator on this card, so he is going to have to win at least this fight to, to, to get that title opportunity, and honestly, probably another one, if he wants that shot at the belt at 155 pounds. But this has been a, a nice little run for him. He's won three in a row now, um, coming off of a, a couple of losses where it, it felt like maybe it's it. Um, or he's going to be looking for three wins in a row, sorry, after a couple of losses where it's like, maybe maybe this is it. Going up against Max Holloway, who is so clearly the best 145-pounder in the world, not named Alex Volkanovsky, but now he has to move, I think, to a... This is a, a, this is a necessary move. He's not going to get a fourth title shot against Volkanovsky, and uh, Tapuria does not seem like someone I'd want to be fucking with right now. So I think Holloway is someone who presents an interesting challenge coming up here at uh coming up to, to 155 pounds at UFC 300 he has he has a body type that fits right like he's not going to look small at 155 he's kind of looked big for 145 so I think he's going to be fine when it comes to to, to the reach advantage um he, he's not a, a one hitter quitter power guy anyway at his best like he can do it um he punches harder than I can that's for sure but he is someone who is going to just overwhelm you with volume and I I, I think moving up 
up to 155 pounds isn't going to slow that down. So I'm very fascinated to see this fight. Early thought is that it goes Gaethje, but I can't wait to break this fight down and uh, dive into a little bit more to veterans of the fight game. And uh, speaking of the title eliminator at UFC 300, it is going to be Charles Oliveira against Armin Sarukian. Sarukian coming off of a big fight over Benil Dariush, and he has really exploded up here in the, the rankings at 155 pounds. And uh, I think is one of the names to watch at lightweight. But this is a huge jump up against Charles DeBronx, who is one of the all-time greats at 155 pounds. And so it's it's a great bit of matchmaking. It's really fun. And it's it's great to see, like, okay, is Saruki in the next guy? Is... is is he what he has shown over the next little bit? Can he do that against the top of the top? Because if you can beat Charles de Bronx, you can beat anybody in the lightweight division. And so we will get that opportunity to see that at UFC 300. And then Davison Figueredo uh, looking for back-to-back -back wins in a new division, taking on Cody Garbrandt. Figueredo opening up as a minus 310 favorite. Garbrandt making a bit of a push. He's won back-to-back -back fights, while Figueredo beats Rob Font in, in his move up to 135 pounds. I, I, initial thought is I think Figueredo runs right through Garbrandt. I think this is a, a good bit of like star building for Figueredo because I, I think this is going to be an all action fight and it, it kind of solidifies him as a potential challenger. It's a big name. It's going to be a fun fight. And for Cody, and if he loses, Cody Garbrandt then has won three in a row. It's a recognizable name. You can tell a bit of a, a retribution story or whatever, even though Cody is wildly unlikable. Um, you, you can tell a bit of a story there. So, no matter how this fight ends up going, you can tell a lot of fun stories for it for the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Mentioned before, PFL and uh, Bellator have announced their first big card. And uh, one of the names that I think everyone should watch out for is Vadim Nemkov. He moves up to heavyweight, vacating the Bellator um, 205-pound, the light heavyweight championship. He is going to face the PFL heavyweight champion, um, Bruno Carazzola. Or, I'm saying that wrong. Carazzola. Sorry. Um, don't talk a lot of PFL, so I haven't had to say that name before. I think Nemkov has the opportunity to be the face of this new brand. Obviously, there there are, like, the marquee names, right? Like, they, they have a deal with Jake Paul. They have a deal with Francis Ngannou, although they don't appear to be high on Ngannou's priorities at the moment. But they, they have a couple of big-name deals. But in terms of the, like, not just popping in once or twice a year kind of guys, like, the, the real, like that this guy is going to be a, a full-time ambassador for PFL. Nemkov has the opportunity to be that. He has been just a beast in the light heavyweight division in Bellator, and now he moves up to heavyweight. I am always so intrigued by guys at 205 pounds moving up to the, the heavyweight landscape because I, I think 205 traditionally has been significantly more difficult than heavyweight is. Um, and Bellator's heavyweight champion is the one who's done that with, with Ryan Bader moving up. So I, I think this is a really fun opportunity, but I, I would say Nemkov has the chance to be like the guy from this group and kind of the guy who fight fans would point to as like, well, yeah, sure. Like UFC has most of the good fighters. This might be the best guy not in the UFC right now. And this might be the guy who could beat the other champions in the UFC. Now, moving up to heavyweight, I don't know how many people would say Nemkov could beat John Jones, but I think if you put Nemkov in the 205-pound division in the UFC right now, um, that guy's taking the title. That, that's that, that's just where I come down on that. Other ones for the, this card, I think it's interesting that it's going to be in Saudi Arabia. Um, I, I think it's a bit of a flex to the UFC who do not have that Saudi money yet. Technically, um, I, I guess they do with Endeavor and TKO now with the WWE having links to the Saudi government, but um, 
look, it, it, it's weird to talk nice about the Saudi Arabia, given everything that's going on and has gone on um, in, in that part of the world. But from just a, a pure fight standpoint, this is a bit of flexing your muscles on the, the UFC. And it puts a bit of a spotlight on them because a lot of things in Saudi Arabia get that spotlight. For negative reasons, of course, but it does add a bit of grandeur to it, as frustrating as that may be. Uh, Renan Ferreira taking on Ryan Bader in the heavyweight division. Bader, I think, is definitely the biggest name, again, outside of the uh, Jake Paul, Francis Ngannou's, the, uh, outside of the special attraction guys, in terms of the regular roster, uh, Ryan Bader, I think, has the biggest name coming from the UFC. A title challenger, I believe, in the UFC, at least has fought in title eliminators before, has fought Tito Ortiz, like, big name. Um, and I think probably rolls in this fight in the, the heavyweight division. I, I, I'm, it, it's tricky right now, right? Cause you have the PFL heavyweight champion against Nemkov. Um, Ferreira won the heavyweight Grand Prix that they had in 2023. So you, you're gonna, it, it, this, I think basically sets up as like tournament semifinals for what will ultimately be the PFL Bellator world championship or however they, they kind of break it all down. Johnny Eblen is another name. Um, he's going up against Impa Kaganani. Uh, again, sorry for the pronunciations on these. It's a middleweight fight. Eblen again is so dangerous. He has been a real force in, in Bellator right now in their middleweight division, beating a lot of relatively big names going through there. And, and he is another one that I think a lot of people are going to take notice for. Like PFL, um, buying out Bellator, I, I don't think it's great for the sport. It helps their brand out a little bit. Like it, it makes it, like th this fight feels like the most important thing Bellator and PFL have done in a very long time. So you get that initial boost, but <laughs> I think a lot of the Bellator fighters are going to have a lot of success on these fights. I'll, I'll just say that. Um, Patricio Fer uh, Freire, Pitbull, um, taking on Jesus Pinedo. Pinedo, kind of a, a Cinderella story through the 145-pound tournament in in, um, in PFL, just beating like, okay, well, now this guy's a tournament favorite. Beat him. Okay, well, now this guy's a tournament favorite. Beat him. All right, this guy, champion. Um, but going up against Patricio, who is a long-time legend in Bellator and one of, like, the faces on the Mount Rushmore of Bellator. So th this will be an intriguing fight because at some point you have to stop doubting the kid. But for right now, um, I, I think this one would go to Pitbull. And then there's a couple of other just interesting fights that don't have titles aligned to him. Tiago Santos, uh, former title challenger in the UFC, taking on Yoel Romero, former title challenger in the UFC. Uh, also on this card, Aaron Pico. Uh, at one time had top prospect status in the sport, lost that, and has now kind of got it back again. Um, and Clarissa Shields is a big name on this as well. She's going to be fighting on this card. So overall, I think this is a really good card that PFL and Bellator are putting out. I don't love that it's on pay-per-view, but I understand the need to branch out into that realm. And if you're going to do it, <clears throat> excuse me, a fight with all of these fights on it makes all the sense in the world. So I, I think that the MMA world is set for... A really interesting 2024. Um, 2023, I don't think, was a banner year for MMA. It wasn't bad, but... Um, <clears throat> excuse me. You're set up pretty well, I think, for 2024 here with some of the fights. Even just like UFC 300 is going to be a, a temple event. Um, you, you have International Fight Week with Conor McGregor. We'll see if Nganu fights in, in this calendar year in the PFL, but obviously they have a lot going on in that organization as well. So I think we're going to have a really fun year here in uh, 2024 in mixed martial arts. All right, one thing left to do on the show. Let's close out with today's ticket.
We have five games on today's ticket. Big Thursday uh, across the, the sporting world. We'll begin in the NHL. The Edmonton Oilers are on some kind of roll right now, taking on the Seattle Kraken, who exist. Uh, no, Seattle's playing some really good hockey as well. But uh, Edmonton, I, I think, is just an unstoppable force right now. So, going to try to ride that momentum with Edmonton minus a goal and a half. Um, we're going to go with the Dallas Stars minus 135 against Philadelphia. Against the, the Flyers, a good team, a great story this year. Dallas, I think, is just better. I don't know if they're a goal and a half better. So, we're just going to go with the value play on the money line at minus 135. Um... The Montreal Canadiens, plus 165 against Ottawa. Montreal certainly has come back down to earth a little bit, but the Ottawa Senators just aren't a good hockey team right now. Um, it, it is a team in disarray. The new coach bump lasted about a period, and so I think Montreal gets the job done today. Going to do a bit of a sprinkle on Montreal Moneyline at plus 165. And then last one on the NHL card, Buffalo minus a goal and a half against Chicago. It's Chicago. That's the reasoning for it. Uh, and quickly in the NBA, Utah is playing really good basketball right now. But Oklahoma City, I think, is just a bit better. And so I think there's a bit of an overreaction to how well Utah is playing right now in this price. Give me OKC, minus three. So five games on today's ticket. That's going to do it for today's show. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like this video and subscribe to the channel. If you are listening in podcast form, uh, leave a review and subscribe there. You can find me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I am at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK, and you can email this show, CouchPotatoDiary, at yahoo.com. Uh, coming up on the show tomorrow, full NFL preview for the divisional round. Full UFC 297 preview as we get ready for a very busy weekend in the world of sports. So thank you all so much for tuning in and I will talk to all of you later.